I always love it when you got like people around you like, that means you, stand up. <laughs> I don't want to stand up. I don't want people to see me. Well, I'm excited to share a word that God has given me for this morning. You know, obviously, as we're in a place of really thinking about what God wants to speak for the future, one thing that really comes onto my heart and my mind is really thinking about what is it that anchors us to what God wants us to do. And, and you know, that is so important. And we talk about this a lot, like as a staff within the church, you know, there are a million different things that we could do. We always have to ask ourselves, what does God want us to do? You know, we always have to ask ourselves, are we making sure that we're staying true to the mission that God has called us to? If not, we're in danger of missional drift. Um, and, and, you know, we can really get off kilter here. And so taking that time this morning, really want to focus on uh, what's known as the Great Commission. And it's something, one, one of Jesus' last words that he gives to his disciples, he's getting ready to go into heaven. He's standing out in a field with them. And, it, and it's almost like this, hey, before I go, you need to know this. You need to remember this. And so that's what I really think think it's so important for us to build that foundation because though there are many new exciting things that God has called us to do and and to take on and transformations that have taken place even within the church our facilities our staff there's still this one thing that we must remain anchored to and that's the word of God the mission of God that he has given to us that we must remain faithful to and so we're going to start in Matthew chapter 28 this morning as we read this great commission so Jesus says to his disciples in verse 19, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is the great commission. This is the great command that God has given to us. This is the great challenge of our lives that God has laid before us. And it is so imperative that we understand it, embrace it, and go for it. We were fortunate a couple months ago, we had missionaries who were going to be heading to Japan. Uh, the Perdans were in here and they were sharing the mission that God had given to them. And uh, David Perdan got up and he kind of shared a little bit about, you know, this, this particular message. He says, as a missionary, I'm focused on the Great Commission. But he said, there's an emphasis oftentimes in the Great Commission that kind of really overlooks what it means to be a missionary, what it means to be part of a church. And that, that problem is that so often we focus on the word go. You know, and for missionaries, that's a big deal. Missionaries go to the other side of the world, right? They go into all the world and preach the gospel. But I love what David said as he stood here. He said, this really can't be the entire point of the message because if it is, once I reach Japan, all I would have to do is stop and say, okay, I goed. <laughs> right? That's all we would say. I go for all of our missionaries. You know, we had missionaries a couple weeks ago that are going to be going to Israel. When they get to Israel, all they would have to say is, all right, we go. We've done it. We go. I'm sorry for all of you English teachers. I'm going to say that a lot today. If that hurts you in some way, please accept my apology. My wife cringed through the entire first service. He says, no, the, the fulcrum of the message is not on the fact that I go. It's make. I must make disciples. I must make disciples. I must be a disciple. I must make disciples, winning people, building people, and then sending people into the world. That is what God has called us to do. That's the great commission right there in a nutshell. And what it means for us as followers of Jesus to be in the place of being in obedience. It's not just that I goad. 
It's that I'm making disciples. And so I want to ask a few questions this morning, and hopefully you can keep along as we go through this. What is a disciple? What does it mean to be a disciple? You know, if somebody to ask you, are are you a disciple? Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? How would you answer that question? What does it mean to be a disciple? Well, when we look at maybe a word that uh, kind of has a little bit more meaning to us, it's tied to trades, is the word apprentice, if you will. A disciple is someone who is learning from a master. Someone who knows something, has a mastery of something, and is using that mastery to then turn around and teach others how to do the same thing. And so Jesus uses this with his disciples. They're learning to be like him. But in the midst of this, there are two things that have to take place cyclically. First is that we are learning. Now, the disciples got to spend about three years with Jesus in his public ministry, three and a half years, some say, learning from his example, watching him as he loved on people, listening to him as he prayed, watching him lay hands on people and heal them, drive sickness from them, take away disease, take away uh, spiritual warfare, all these things that he did. And they watched this for three and a half years. And at this point, after learning, Jesus stands with them in the field and he says, now you need to go and make disciples like I've done to you. This is the Great Commission. And so learning lends itself finally to teaching. Now, for those of you who don't know, I, I coach with um, the Hickory uh, football team, the Hickory Hornets. And, and I'm constantly trying to talk to these young men about character and the fact that people are looking up to them. You know, I tell them, when you guys walk out onto the field on a Friday night, boys like my son who are 11 years old, they look at you and they think you are it. They're like, man, that, that's on par, par with the, the NFL, those guys. The, they have made it. They're walking out there, and they're under the lights, and they're on that turf, and they, they just think you're awesome. And, and you know, it's so important to remember that we are all role models in some way. Somehow, some way, someone is learning from your life. They're learning from your example. They're learning from your walk with Jesus. They're learning from how you treat people. They're learning from the example of whether or not you show grace and mercy, whether or not you're a worshiper, a true follower of God. All of this hinges on the example that you're setting. So whether you would consider yourself a teacher or not, understand this, that as a follower of Jesus, you are teaching the world around you through your example. And so there's this imperative that comes in because if we're going to be teaching, then we better be learning. And everything that we're learning, we better be teaching. Because, you know, if you're a parent, right, you raise your kids, you can tell them to do one thing, but what are they going to learn from? What do they learn from? Watching you. They learn from your example, right? You can tell a kid, do this, don't do that. And they're going to learn from your example. They're going to learn from what you do or don't do in front of them. And for as much as you say to do or not do something, it really makes no difference if your actions don't line up with the same thing. And so as we're learning, we must also be teaching. So here's my next question for you. Am I learning? Am I learning anything? How many of you just loved high school? Praise the Lord. Good. High school is terrible. And here's why. Because you spend about four years learning stuff that you're just like, when am I ever going to need this in life? I got to be honest, since graduating high school, no one has ever asked me to find the gerund in the sentence. (laughs) Do you know what the prepositional phrase is here? It's never come up in conversation. Can you give me the area of this pentagon? 
Never. It's just all these things that we're learning. And so we, we kind of, at this crucial stage in our lives, get fed up with the idea of learning. We're, we're having things crammed into us, and it's like, you have to learn this, you have to know this, you have to learn this, you have to know this. And, and I'll be honest, my wife is a teacher, and I, and I kind of get to watch this at a distance in some, to some degree. Uh, it just gets worse and worse. It's just like, you have to know this, you have to know this, this is on the test, this is on the test, you have to know this, you have to know this. And, and it's frustrating because it really puts people in a place where it's like, I, I just don't want to learn anymore. And then we somehow need to get past that in our own lives and figure out, what am I learning in my relationship with Jesus? Becoming a lifelong learner, not only in other areas of my life, things that interest me, but a lifelong learner in my relationship with Jesus. And so 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, I want to read this for you. It says, all scripture, can you say all? That's just to make sure you're still awake. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true And listen to this. This is very crucial. And to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. Let's read that again. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true. We love that part. I want to know the truth. And to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Listen, this is so important. As we read through scripture, there are always going to be things that we read through and we're like, I like that. I like that. The Lord will bless his people. Oh, I like that. I like that. But then there are things we read in scripture and it's like God says, you need to abstain from this. Walk, you know, get away from these things. You need to devote yourself. I don't like that as much. I'm not a big fan of that. You know, and if I can just be real for a second, one thing that kind of bothers me is, is I think, especially among conservative Christianity, we're in a place where we, we are very quick to ramp, you know, tell people that, that the Bible says that homosexuality is wrong, and it absolutely is. But then we don't talk about the fact that the Bible equally says that living with someone and having premarital relations with them outside of marriage is also wrong. We don't talk about that. But if you put them next to each other in the Bible, God says they're both wrong. And we're like, well, that one is more wronger. This one is less wrong. It's slightly less wrong than that more wronger thing. I goad. This is what we do. We look at the word of God and we're just like, if we, if we see something, we're just like, well, I like that. I, I, I'm going to prescribe to that. And listen, this is something else that Paul warned Timothy. If you go back a chapter before this, he says, hey, Timothy, watch out because in the last days, there's going to be people who gather around themselves, teachers who just tell them what they want to hear. They're not going to listen to teachers who tell them stuff they don't want to hear. In fact, if I say enough things that frustrate you, you'll probably leave. It's okay. I still love you. But this is what the word of God says, and here's why it matters. Exactly what it says in verse 16 here. God's word is useful to teach us what's true. We love learning what's true. He says it's also meant to help us realize what's wrong in our lives. It's the standard that we have to measure ourselves up against. Listen, here's something I can 100 million percent promise you. You are someday going to stand before God Almighty. You are going to stand before him someday. And here's something I want you to know. He is not going to ask you your opinion on how you thought life should have been lived. Were you cool with that teaching when I said that premarital sex was wrong? Like, were you okay with that? Because I was worried when I brought that up. 
Jesus is not going to say that. He is going to say, listen, this is the measure of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. This is the measure of what it means. We don't look in our lives to see where it fits. We have to start shaping our lives to make it fit the Word of God. And so church, what are you learning? Because being a lifelong learner of God's Word is, yes, knowing, but then it's also applying. So it's not just, what have I memorized? What have I heard? What has so-and-so told me? What is, what's been taught? What did my grandmother tell me? What, whatever that looks like. It's, what am I applying to my life? That's what I'm really learning. And if I'm being a disciple of Jesus Christ, I'm applying the Word of God to my life, which I believe is inspired by God. And I believe this 100%, that every single word that is in our Bibles is inspired by the heart of God. I believe that unequivocally. And so to believe that is not to just say, well, I I think that's right. Because that's the first part. We want to know what's true. But then we also have to measure ourselves against it to see what's going on in my life, what's going on in my heart, my thinking, my actions, my attitudes, my responses that does not line up with the Word of God. Lord, teach me what's wrong and help me to fix it. So what are you learning? What are you applying to your life? Secondly is this, what are you teaching? What are you teaching the world around you? Here's a, here's a, a really challenging, thought-provoking question. I want you to think about this. If more people were like you, would Christianity be better off or worse off? If everybody was to be like you, the kind of follower that you are of Jesus Christ, would Christianity be better off for that or would it be worse off for that? Because we have to challenge ourselves with this. The reality, like I said before, every one of us is teaching someone in our lives. You know, I wrestle with all the time. I'm teaching my kids. Can I be honest, as a dad, it hits me all the time. When, when God refers to himself as God the Father, the way that I treat my children, the character that I exude in front of them is going to teach them in some way about the character of God and what they expect from him. Meaning if I'm harsh to them, if I won't show them grace or any mercy, they'll come to believe without being told that in their lives that God is harsh and unmerciful. I wrestle with that. But I also think about for all of us in our own communities, what are we teaching? And so here in Colossians 3, this challenge that he gives to the the Colossian church is this. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, Do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. I want to focus on that last phrase there, giving thanks to him through God the Father. That is not simply, Lord, thanks. Thank you. You're so good. God, thanks. In fact, if we look through these other verses here, he's going to define what it means to show gratitude to God. Here's what he says. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your life. When you're letting the word of God fill your life, the richness of what God desires for you to know and live by, when you're letting that fill your life, that's your thank you, Jesus. That's thank you, God, for for loving me so much that you're instilling your word and you're planting it in my heart and it's changing me. Thank you, God. But then he says, here's another way you say thank you. When we teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom that who gives? 
that he gives. Listen, nobody's ever going to be changed by my wisdom. The world's not going to be changed and transformed by your wisdom. The way we apply what God wants to speak into the world is first through learning, but as a disciple and a learner, one who is then teaching. God, I want to impart your wisdom into the world, not the Scripture the way I see it, not Scripture the way I'm comfortable talking about it or what I think is right or wrong, but that I'm measuring myself against the Word of God and then teaching others to do the same using God's wisdom. Then he says, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And you thought we'd just like to show off our musicians. You know, that's why we have worship services. That's why. Because a long time ago, there was this realization that one of the best ways that we remember things is to put music to it. Learn the capitals that way. You can learn the books of the Bible that way. You just sing a little song and it helps you to remember things. So they said, listen, why don't we take theology? Why don't we take the attributes of God and, and the worship that we want to give? Why don't we apply that and put some music to it? And that's going to help us as followers of Jesus to be able to apply that and to know it and to speak it and to teach it because it'll be stuck in our heads. So he says, sing like this. And then he says, whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. That's how I thank God is by being so much like him that when people meet me, when they see me, when they interact with me, when they interact with you, that they say, you know what? That person, they're not living life for themselves. They're not doing what comes easy or natural. They, there's something different about that person. I don't have any strange ambition that someday I'm going to introduce myself to someone. And I'm going to say, oh, my name is, and they're going to cut me off and say, don't tell me it's Jesus, isn't it? That's probably not going to happen. But can I tell you that for some people in your life, you're the only Jesus they're ever going to see. Your mercy is the only mercy of God they're ever going to see. Your compassion, your grace is the only mercy and grace and compassion that they're ever going to see. You get to be a representative of Jesus to the world around you. And here's what he's saying to the Colossian church. That's your thank you. That's your thank you to your Father in heaven. That's your thank you to Jesus who went to the cross for you and took nails for you and took a beating for you and laid your sins upon himself. That's your thank you. It's not, oh Lord, thanks. It's a life that I'm living as a representative of Jesus to the world around me. A life that is surrendered, that is measuring itself against the Word of God, that is making disciples, that is winning people for Jesus, that is building them up to know Him and sending them into the world to make more disciples. And church, that's what God called us to. That's the Great Commission. You know, there may be a hundred different ways that we get that done. We can never stray from this mission, from this call, from what God has given us as our primary goal. You know, I love some of the things that I see taking place in the church globally. I love some of the things I'm seeing in our church. And you know, I've had people come in, this church is so cool. It's different. It's fun. You know, and I, and I love that. But God didn't call us to build a cool church. God didn't call us to build a trendy church. And that doesn't mean we can't be cool, okay? That's not like a challenge from now on, please do your best to not be cool. 
all right? Because we're not, we're not honoring God if we're cool. Not saying that at all. But our call was not to build something like that. Our call was to make disciples. Not to just step back and say, hey, I goad. I goad to church. I goad to a Bible study. I goad to a Sunday school class. I goad to a small group. That's not what the Great Commission is all about. The Great Commission is only fulfilled when we make. Make disciples. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to do that. You don't have to be a full-time pastor to do that. You just have to be somebody who says, I'm surrendered, I'm learning from God, and I'm teaching others. I'm learning from God, and I'm teaching others. And I'm going to take both seriously because God's called me to win, build, and send people into the world. For us as a church, we, we need to focus on what it means to fulfill the Great Commission. It has to be the foundation of everything that we build upon. And I, I, I please, and I mean this with, with all sincerity, I take so seriously, so seriously making sure that everything I say from this stage is in alignment with good doctrine and what the Bible teaches. If I ever don't do that, I beg of you to challenge me on it. That's your responsibility. We need to take that so seriously. Because what we do has to measure up against the Word of God. We have to answer for it someday. I was thinking a couple weeks ago, and I was here on our Wednesday night service, and we had a, a worship time going. If you've never been to one of our Wednesday nights, I would just encourage you, chisel out a time and come check it out. Uh, it's so awesome that we just spend this time of worship together. Uh, sometimes we'll break off into groups and just kind of get to know each other and pray for each other. Uh, but we were in a worship time, and just out of nowhere, God just kind of downloaded something into my brain and said, this is what I want out of Family Life Church. I wasn't praying about it, wasn't thinking about it at all. It was just one of those automatic downloads. And it was this, that God says, I have called this church to gather, to grow, to give, and then go. Now, the gather part's easy. We're like, that's fun. Cool church will gather, right? You get that cafe done, preacher, we'll gather even more. If that thing ever gets open, I'm going to be here. We're getting close. We want to gather, but then we need to grow. You know, if you look throughout all of nature, the only things you will find that are not growing are things that are dead. Everything that is alive grows. So if there's not growth taking place, let that be a challenge for self. If I'm not growing in my relationship with Jesus, here's that hard question that needs to maybe take place in the conversation. Is my, my faith in Jesus alive or is it dead? Because everywhere in the world, that's, that's just the measure. If it's not growing, it's dead. There is no dormant Christianity. We're either taking ground and learning and growing or we're losing ground and dying. We need to grow. We need to give. I know that for a lot of people, as soon as we say give, it's like, okay, here comes the money pitch. You're exactly right. We want you to start giving 100% of your income to the church. <laughs> if you can't afford that, 99 is fine. No, giving is not just about our money. Listen, there are people who can give a ton of money and still be stingy. Giving is not a financial dollar amount. It is a heart issue. 
It is a heart issue. And that's why we, as, as a church, as our pastoral staff, that's why we care so much about giving and being surrendered in your finances because it's not just about dollars and cents. That's a heart issue. That's a heart issue when I'm holding on to that. But it's not just about money. I don't just give my money. I give my time. I give my talents. I give the skills that God has given me. And every one of you in here has time and talents and skills that God has given to you for the glory of God to make disciples. And church, when we have learned how to use those things and begin to give them to the world around us, then we make disciples. Lastly is to go. Again, not so that we can stand back and say, I goad. But God has called us to go into the world. Your workplace, your family, your neighborhood, our community, outside of these walls. Listen, this is something that is so much on my heart as the pastor of this church is that I want us to be a church of goers and doers and reachers of lost people. Because we can, I mean, there have been great churches throughout history that have made incredible organizations, really cool churches that people love to come to and gather. But church, we were not created to be just some organization or cool social club. God called us to be world changers through disciple-making efforts. So we've got to go. We've got to get out of the walls and go into the community. We've got to get out of the walls and go reach the lost where they're at and not just be like, well, when they're ready, they'll come to us. Bet they won't. I bet it's going to take us going to them. So church, I don't know where you're at in this. Maybe you're just in the gather stage. Maybe you're starting to grow. Maybe you're prepping to give. Maybe you're in the place where I'm ready to go, whatever that looks like. But I believe with all my heart that this is the mission of what God has for us as a church is that we are called to be disciple makers. That is so important. People making disciples realizing that your life is teaching somebody. My life is teaching somebody. They're either learning more about the goodness of God through our example, or they're being drawn away from Him. And Lord knows, there are more than enough people in this world who have a story or ten about a Christian that they met who said they were a believer, said they were godly, but they did this or did that, and they did these things. And that person's like, if that's what a Christian's like, I don't even want to go to church. Yes, that reputation, it rests on us. So can I give you the same words that Jesus gave to his disciples? As if Jesus himself could stand on this stage and say, Family Life Church, here is the most important thing that I need you to know. Family Life Church, of all the things that you might endeavor to do in 2022 and 23 and 25 and 35 until I return, can I give you one thing that matters more than anything else you're going to focus on as a church? It would be this. Go and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Church, I believe that if Jesus could stand on this stage and tell us something, this is what he would say. How you do that, there may be a hundred different ways, and we'll dream about that. That's fine. But this is what really matters. We need to make disciples for Jesus. Will you bow your heads with me? God, what a privilege it is to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, to learn from that incredible example, 
to learn from the Word of God. And Lord, I pray for every one of us in here that we would take upon ourselves that challenge to measure ourselves against Your Word and not measuring Your Word to see where it just fits in with our lives. God, what a vast difference that is. But Lord, it's life-giving and life-changing when we begin to live according to the Word of God. And Lord, I do pray that in this room that you would just begin to birth an incredible passion within your people to be disciple-makers. Begin to birth a passion within us, God, that there is not anything else on this side of eternity that matters more than us making disciples of Jesus Christ. Teaching them, baptizing them, helping to know that you love them, that you died for them. And God, it escapes us that there is a reality of a world around us. People who live in our own backyard who have never been told that Jesus loves them. He died for them. He took their sins away and they can have forgiveness if they would just come to him. Lord, give us such a passion for lost people. And God, make this the anchor of everything we do as a church. That this is the anchor that we must cling to. Though there may be a million dreams of things that we want to do or how we want to accomplish this goal, we remain fast anchored to this. That we are called to make disciples of Jesus. As we're in prayer this morning, and maybe you're here and as we're listening to this, you just sense that own challenge in your heart. And God just kind of tapping you on the shoulder and saying, yes, you, I want you to make disciples. Yes, you, in your workplace, in your family, in your community, in your neighborhood, in, in whatever context I place you in. Yes, you, I want you to be a disciple maker. If that's you, can I just ask you to slip up a hand? Because I want to pray for you this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, hands all over the room. Thank you. Thank you. Can I ask you to stand with me as we get ready to close in prayer together? I say it often, but I mean it to be true. It is easy to sing a song that says, I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. But it's something else entirely to make the decision in our everyday lives to say, I'm going to choose less of this so that I can have more of God. I'm going to choose maybe a little less Netflix, a little less social media. I'm going to choose a little less whatever. Because I want more of you, God. Church, that's the decision that we make. But I want to pray for you, especially those of you who raised your hand, to say, I want to take upon myself this call that God has given me to be a disciple maker. I want to learn and grow and become more like Jesus because this is the Great Commission. This is what Jesus said matters most. So I want to pray together and let's believe God to do something awesome through our obedience. Lord, I just pray right now for every single person in this place Lord, those who raised their hand and said, I feel that nudge in my own heart. I feel that tap on my shoulder that, God, you're calling me to be a disciple maker. You're calling me to lead people. You're calling whatever context I have, whatever way that I can, you're calling me to lead people, God. And Lord, I pray that as we are here, that we would hear that call, God, and sense just how imperative it is to a lost and dying world that you have called us to be disciple makers. Lord, I pray that we would hear these words that you spoke to your disciples as if it were you yourself standing here on this stage and addressing Family Life Church and the things that you might say, the, the great call that you might lay on our lives, God. 
Let us hear it from you and take it so seriously. God, none of us on our own can save the world. But empowered by your Spirit and living according to this great commission, we can see a world around us transformed. And so God, I pray that the world would be transformed through our obedience. That as we just take little step after little step and have little conversation after conversation and begin to live out loud and to challenge our own hearts to live according to the Word of God and to to challenge the sin that might rest within us to be gone so that we can live for your glory. God, all of these things so that the world can know you and we can make disciples. God, we just want more of you to shine through all of us. And we give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Listen, you're going to go all over the place today. Don't get there just because you goad. When you get there, make disciples and love on people. If you need prayer, our prayer team is up here at the front and willing to meet with you. Would be glad to pray anything with you and agree with you in prayer. But Lord bless you. I love you. Hope to see most of you at 2.30 for our vision rally this afternoon.